Thanks so much, team. All right, well, this was fair week. How many of you made it to the fair? About there? Okay. And, uh, and just for the fun of it, how many of you went into the church tent or actually volunteered at the church tent? Either way. Okay, quite a few of you. Uh, that was really fun. It was neat to be able to be there. And we had told our office team here, just consider the church office closed, just use the tent as the office. So there's lots of different connections made and uh, a lot of, lot, lot, of, lot of fun, a lot of people we were able to meet and connect with. So uh, thank you for those of you who helped make that ministry possible and who gave either a few hours or came and aided in conversation or helped with setup or things like that. Thank you for um, making that possible. It's a really neat time to connect with so many people across our community we wouldn't normally um, get to hang out with. Um, hey, in the Bible today, we're in Acts chapter 21. This, this summer, we've been walking through the book of Acts. We're actually reading every verse out loud in church. So that's a big, I mean, if you look at the book of Acts, that's actually a lot of verses that we've been committed to read. And uh, we're pretty close to the end of this series. Each week, we're asking how the Holy Spirit was at work in the lives of the people we're reading about back in that first century church. But we're also saying, Lord, how, how do you want to work in our church and in our lives right now? So I pray that this has been a good journey for you, a challenging journey, but it's not over yet. There's still more to learn from the Apostle Paul and the people that traveled with him here in the last part of the book. And what we're specifically tuning into is how is the Holy Spirit working through these people? Because we look back in time and we say these weren't superheroes. These weren't people that had something that we don't have. They were people who said yes to Jesus the Holy Spirit filled them with his power, and then they went out on mission for Christ. And we see all these explosive results. And the same thing can happen to you and I today. All right, so Acts chapter 21 is where we'll begin reading. And before we do that, I wanted to remind you of a few questions we asked, and I believe it was back in late July. Um, questions as we were talking through how the Apostle Paul in particular was moving from city to city and engaging in so many different kinds of discussions and sometimes creating riots and mobs, other times seeing people trust Jesus as their Savior and everything in between those two extremes. All right, so when we asked these questions, we were saying if, if it seems like Paul was on the front lines of the gospel's advance and, and it seems like there are certain people who witness the power of God through their lives, what does it take for you and I to become one of those people? And one of the steps we have to take is a willingness to move from the sidelines out to the front lines. That is, if you want to see the battle, you have to move toward where the battle's actually happening. And so what kind of, how, how do you and I do that? How do we move to the front lines? And a lot of it is actually a mentality. We are all already on the front lines of the world we live in and the challenges that are in it. Sometimes that's in our own households. Certainly it's in our workplaces and schools and neighborhoods. And so you say, okay, Lord, how do I need to walk into those situations as a proactive agent of good, not just somebody who's sort of standing on the sidelines and watching other people do things, all right? So here are four questions we identified, and I wanted to come back to these because we'll see the Apostle Paul answering these four questions in a different way today than we did in previous weeks, okay? So one of the questions we ask is, what spiritual needs do the people have here? So you walk around and you say, well, what, what are the needs that they have here? 
It's interesting, we were comparing notes about our fair ministry tent this year and last year compared to some previous years, and we've been doing that about seven years now, having various activities at the fair. And one of the things that changed last year, and we credit Pastor Bill for this idea, it was, a, it was a great idea, and it was more or less toward the very last minute. We were just kind of rethinking what we were doing. And we thought, you know, for, the, for many years, we were thinking, what does our church want to say to the community, and how can we say it in kind of a creative way to get people's attention? It's not a bad question to ask, but we were starting with our premise, like, what do we want to say? What we weren't starting with is what do the people who are at the fair actually want or actually need? And so that led us to, you know what, what people actually need is a comfortable place to sit down and maybe a cup of cold water that's not $4. And so <laughs> that we, could, we could provide that. And, uh, and so lo and behold, what, what used to feel like we were you know, kind of trying to pull people in to be able to talk to them. Now people are flowing in and out all the time, and it was just changing the question, what are the needs that people have here? So you take a spiritual version of that when you walk into work or school, instead of just saying, like, what's the message I want to communicate? Uh, you start by saying, what, what do people actually need? What do people want? What are, what are people hungry for? And, and when you start with that premise in mind and then start serving the Lord, you'll find yourself on the front lines of a lot of exciting things. Another question is, how can I represent Jesus well in this place? So wherever you are, uh, you walk into school and you, 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 know, you set down your book bag or whatever, you're at your desk and you, instead of just thinking, how do I get popular or how do I make sure my friends see me or how do I get an A on my test, you, you say, Lord, how, how can I represent you well in this place? A simple question like that changes your orientation, it changes what you're thinking about, what you're pursuing in that situation. Hey, where are people gathering and how can I join them? It's always a great question. And one thing I've appreciated about the Apostle Paul as we've been reading the whole story here is it seems like there was never a crowd that he didn't want to preach to. Like any time there was a group, he was like, let me after him. Even when it was really dangerous and really a bad idea, he was still going for it uh, because he was thinking, hey, where are people gathering and how can I get in there? Because where the people are is where we'll find opportunity to serve the Lord. Uh, generally, that doesn't happen off at the monastery. It happens out on the city street. And so we say, Lord, where are people gathering and how can we get with them? And then what impact can I make while I'm here in? And then fill in the blank. If you want to zoom up of kind of the timeline of life and look at your whole lifetime, you may not be in the Berrien region your whole lifetime, right? Some of you have been, some of you might be, but maybe, maybe some of us will move to other places. So we say, well, Lord, as long as I'm here, in this area, what impact do you want me to have? Or you zoom way down and you say, Lord, as long as I'm here in this apartment complex, what impact do you want me to have? Lord, as long as I have this job, what impact do you want me to have? And that helps us get kind of out of our own headspace and our own agenda and onto a more frontline Christian life. So everywhere the Apostle Paul went, he was asking questions like this and finding himself in really unique scenarios. Today, things heat up. And you say, wow, I, I thought the mobs that were trying to kill him, I thought it was already pretty hot. Um, well, indeed, but it keeps going. And, uh, and things take an interesting turn here in chapter 21. Okay, so go to chapter 21, verse 15, and we'll do our extended reading today. So if you want to follow along and read with us, that does help with attention if you're not used to reading long, long texts 
So I'd encourage you to pull out a Bible from the bottom of the seat in front of you, and you can read along on page 669, uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 15. And by the way, one thing you might have noticed when, uh, I believe it was in last week's reading, um, the book of Acts starts to use different pronouns to describe who's talking. So at first it all feels like a report, kind of like you'd read a history book. And then all of a sudden, the author of Acts starts saying, we, like, and now we did this. And that's because Luke, the doctor who wrote the book of Acts, joined Paul for the latter part of the story. And so it stopped being just a report of what others had seen, and now he's involved as well. So we see that in chapter 21, verse 15. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some of the believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Manasin, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James, and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things that God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. Remember, the Gentile world is essentially everything that's not Israel. So you've got, you know, Paul had all these amazing things happen in Ephesus and in all across Greece, all across Asia. And so as this was happening, there, there wasn't instant communication, so you had to wait for someone to come and tell you what happened. It wasn't like you just text them the news story. So they, they're all excited about what's happened. It says, after hearing this, they praised God. And then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed, and they all follow the, Moses, or follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you're teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the laws of Moses. Now, was that true? Well, no, that, that wasn't what Paul was doing. But he was helping them gain the right perspective on what place those laws now have in their lives and in their cultural traditions. And as the gospel starts to spread to non-Jewish communities, starting to recognize, you know, not all of this is part of the gospel of Jesus. Some of this is just part of the Jewish identity. Not all of it carries over to everyone. Okay, but obviously there was confusion all around that issue. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you've come. So they're excited about what God's doing, but they're kind of anticipating that when the whole church gets wind that Paul is nearby, there are going to be some people who are a little bit upset, who feel like he's compromising some important values. Here's what we want you to do. This is the elder speaking to Paul. We have four men here who've completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you yourself observe Jewish laws. So they zoom in on a particular tradition that's public, you know, you can kind of see that people are doing it. They shave their heads. It says, hey, Paul, just for, for the sake of peace, would you go in and do this tradition so that everyone knows, you know, what they've, what they've believed about you isn't the case. As for the Gentile believers, verse 25, they should do what we already told them in a letter. They should abstain from eating the food sacrificed to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual morality. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. They had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and the sacrifices would be offered for each of them. 
The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him. Now, no, this isn't believers from the province of Asia. This is Jews who were also traveling, and they saw Paul as an enemy to what they believed. So they grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen in the city seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Right, you almost, it's kind of boring to read about riots at this point in the, in the book of Acts, right? Everywhere Paul goes, somebody decides to have a riot. Um, Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him, as they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down into the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Remember, there's not sort of innocent until proven guilty American justice system going on here. Uh, this is the ancient world, and there's not a lot of personal rights. And so you see the guy getting beaten up, and you go, you know what? Let's arrest that guy. Seems a little backwards, but that's what happened. Um, so they thankfully arrested him and kind of protected him. Well, as, as the commander's trying to make sense of this, verse 34, some, of, some shouted one thing, and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent that the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him, and the crowd followed behind, shouting, kill him, kill him. You just imagine the scene in your mind. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Aren't aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? Uh, No. Paul replied, I am a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Sicilia, uh, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. Now remember, what is this mob shouting? Kill him, kill him. And what is Paul asking for? Could you just let me talk to them? So there he is again. Go where the people are. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned for the people to be quiet. And soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God and Everything that I did, just as you are today, I persecuted the followers of the way, or their word for Christians, pounding some of them to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. The high priests and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so, for I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from here from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. 
As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven shone down around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, who you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? The Lord said to me, get up and go to Damascus and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance and I saw a vision of Jesus saying, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they, they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, they threw off their coats, they tossed handfuls of dust into the air. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and said, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. Well, I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard that he was a Roman citizen. And the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priests into the session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Now, remember when last week we read that multiple people had told Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be bound. If you go to Jerusalem, it's not going to be pretty. Um, you'll, be, you'll be bound, and then you'll be handed over to the Gentiles. So this is the start of that story. Paul knew this was coming, but all of this is still a part of how God is using him to testify to the gospel, to be a witness. So he gets to stand now and speak to the most powerful people uh, in Jerusalem. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare insult God's high priest? 
Oh, I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest. Now, again, remember, we're used to seeing everybody's face every day. So, like, if you meet the president, you know who that is because you see his face all the time. That's not the way it is back then. So, you don't always know who you're with until people announce themselves and kind of give evidence. So, Paul didn't realize he was addressing the high priest at the time. Uh, so, he immediately withdraws there and he says, The scriptures say, You must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. That's kind of a brilliant move here by Paul because on the council, everybody has to get along to a certain extent, but the Sadducees did not believe in supernatural things. So for them, it was kind of a moralistic religion, it wasn't, there wasn't a resurrection of the dead, there weren't miracles. Over here on the Pharisee side, they were the ones that took the Bible that they had in their hands very literally. And, and so they believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in the miracles that you see reported all throughout the Old Testament. So declaring that you're on one side or the other now, you know, kind of lights up a different type of fire. This divided the council the Pharisees against the Sadducees, for the Sadducees say there's no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all these. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law who were the Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully, we see nothing wrong with him. Isn't that hilarious? I think people change their opinions pretty quick. Uh, perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid that they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. Which knows that's the second time this commander has rescued Paul from like crazy people. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you've been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Which would give Paul a lot of confidence going forward because he knows God has a plan for him that takes him all the way to, at that time, what would be like the center of the world, the capital city of the whole big empire. And so he can now continue on with confidence and being a bold witness. He knows the Holy Spirit is with him. So I, I wanted to point out a couple things as we chew on this. And as we go home today, I just want, I want you to think about a couple dynamics of what it means to be a Christian witness. Okay? So the same gospel, the same testimony, but there are different approaches. So when Paul went to Athens and he spoke to the philosophers, the narrative sounded a lot different. Sometimes the results were similar, right? Like in Ephesus, there was still a riot and he had to be rescued by the government officials and all that. But uh, the, the, the story he was telling was different. He was adapting his witness to the context he was in. And I just wanted to unpack that because I think that that means something for us when we say, how do we reach our neighbors or how do we reach out in our community? How do we make a difference in the 21st century the way they made a difference in the first century? And it gets to this question, what is actually the job of a Christian witness? Now, we're, we get confused, I think, at least I know oh, along the way I've been confused, where I've thought that being a witness involved me almost being like a presenter where I need to learn how to teach the Bible and then go out and tell people what I've learned. There's nothing wrong with that. That's teaching, but that's not necessarily the same thing as being a witness. If, if the court calls you to be a witness, 
that's different than you being an expert witness or some sort of testimony of, you know, like you're a doctor and you're going to talk about it. What, what does it classically, if you're an eyewitness at a court, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to, are, you, are you teaching new truths to the people in the courtroom? Are you outlining things or saying, like, let's, look, let's open the books of the law and let me tell you all about them? No, that, other people do that job. What's the witness's job? Just say what you saw right? Give your story, give your angle. And, and that gets pieced together with the rest of whatever they're trying to build in that courtroom to make a case. When we realize that our first calling as Christian believers is to be a witness, go and be a witness wherever you go, it, there's a sigh of relief we can breathe that you don't have to be some sort of expert to do that. All you have to do is tell your story. How has God worked in your life? Okay, so here's what that looks like, and I think Paul has lots of creative situations he's in that give us examples, but the first thing to think about is that the context of your witness matters. Okay, so it's my job to recognize the culture that I'm trying to serve and to adapt respectfully. So when Paul went to Athens and he went to Mars Hill and he spoke to the philosophers, he started speaking sort of as a philosopher, right? And he brought his own story in through that vein. Would that have worked in Jerusalem to do that? Well, no, because those people were extremely devout Jews. And so when he gets to Jerusalem, what does he do? I mean, he goes and does a temple purification ritual, shaves his head to try to identify with people there. Um, each context he goes into, he's willing to respectfully adapt so that people can listen. And so as we think about when we go out into the world, the goal is not to say, wow, the world ought to be just like the people in the church, and if they're not, we don't even hang out with them. No, the, we go to them, right? And we say, uh, to the extent that's possible, I, I want to dive into their lives and their way of thinking so that I can have a voice in their life so that I can share my story uh, and have a testimony. Okay, another thing that matters in our witness, connection. It's my job to connect personally with those that I'm trying to share Jesus with. I'm struck by the fact that, and this will happen more even in our readings next week as well, uh, when the Apostle Paul gets the room, like when he gets to say whatever he wants to say, usually he tells his own story, his testimony of how he met Jesus. Uh, he connects the people, right? And, but he kind of does it in a sensitive way. I thought it was interesting. And in as he told his testimony to the people in Jerusalem, he was kind of emphasizing the Jewish credentials throughout it um, and the fact that he was very faithful to the law and he understood the law. That wouldn't have meant anything to the people in Ephesus, so that would have been de-emphasized in that situation. But he's taking his story and he's connecting it to the people that are in front of him. And that's something we can do. We think about, you know, it's not, it's not all that complicated. It's not rocket science, but it's just, you know, when you're talking to someone who maybe they're a young parent and they're struggling, if, if you've been a parent before, maybe you say, wow, I remember when when, I, when my kids were first born and some of the struggles we had, it's just, it's just identifying with where the person is as the beginning point of your conversation because you're not in the conversation for you, you're in the conversation for them. Okay. Next one is clarity. It's my job to share my story of how Jesus has changed my life in a way that they can appreciate. So Paul was clear. Uh, and when you read his statements about what he was about and what he was doing, uh, he didn't beat around the bush. He did, he did very directly say, this is what I'm after, this is what I've been called to. And, uh, and next week, we'll look at some of the clarity of when he would go and say, here is the gospel I've been called to present. 
he was super clear about what that looked like. Okay, and then the last one is courage. Um, wow, it's my job to be courageous, trusting God in challenging situations. I, I don't know, like I would want to give the hero answer here, but I don't actually know if there was a crowd shouting, kill Dan, kill Dan, if I would say, hey, could I speak to this crowd for just a moment? Um, I feel like I would want to run away, but man, Paul had courage, didn't he? And, uh, and so we say, Lord, would you give us wisdom plus courage as we face challenges in the world and as we seek to be a witness? So being a witness, here's my encouragement to you, um, being a witness just starts with who you are and where you are. And as you have a relationship with God, as Jesus changes you, you start sharing that story with other people. You bring them into your life so that they can get to know him. A lot of people worry about qualifications when they think about sharing their faith or being a witness. And they're wondering, am I actually qualified for this? Like, what if I say something wrong? Say, well, you, you could worry about that if you're teaching, but if you're a witness, you're not going to say anything wrong unless you lie, right? Just tell your story. It's not wrong. And so there's no wrong way to do this. You say, of course I'm, quali I'm, I'm qualified by the fact that I've had an experience with God. And so if you're a believer in Jesus and he's changing you, you're fully qualified to go and share that testimony with other people. Say, well, what if I'm not qualified to like explain the details of the Bible to the person? It's okay. Bring them to somebody that's a teacher then. Uh, but your job, your first job is to be a witness. Okay? Another question people will ask is, am I really called to this? Like, what if my calling is just to be behind the scenes and not talk to anybody? I suppose that's theoretically possible, but my word to you, just friend, friend to friend here, would be that's not likely. Uh, God's calling on your life is to make a difference where you are. And so, sure, maybe you're introverted or maybe your personality kind of leads you to say or your gift sets lead you behind the scenes. That's okay, but still be ready to give your story. Still be ready to share a little of yourself with the people around you. That's your calling. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives you power to be his witness, and that goes for all of us, no matter what our gifting or orientations might be. So the real question that we have to reckon with is this one. Am I willing? Am I willing to look at other people, not with my own agenda in mind, but to say, you know, Lord, I realize I'm here in this situation for a reason. I'm here in this world for a reason. I'm here in this community for a reason. And Lord, I'm willing to share my story. I'm willing to be a, a witness, to give a testimony of how you're at work. And Lord, I'll trust you to use my words to great effect. Uh, I'll trust you if things get crazy and mobs start forming. Okay, Lord, my life is yours anyway. Um, but Lord, I, I want to start from the premise of faith and recognize that you've called me to be a witness. Hey, the Holy Spirit will be with you uh, as you choose to speak up for him. All right, so the question for the, the summer, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within us? Today, my invitation to you would be to just ask the Holy Spirit how and where he wants to use you as a witness. All right, Lord, thank you for opportunities everywhere, for people all around us, neighbors, friends, family members, classmates, coworkers, 
people that we meet as we travel, people we meet when we're right here in this church building. Lord, in all of these situations, we know that we have a testimony of how you've worked in our lives. And our first responsibility is simply to share that, to be a witness. Lord, we commit that to you. I pray that you would help us to be clear as we do that, to have clarity, to have courage. And also as we attempt to connect with people in a relevant way, as we recognize that the context in which we're sharing matters, help us to be sensitive and respectful to the people around us. Uh, and yet at the same time, willing to go to bat for what's true and what's right. Pray that you'd fill our hearts with love and that that love would overflow into a very powerful witness here in this church community and out all across the Berrien region. We look forward to seeing how you'll use us as your witnesses in the days ahead. Thank you, Lord, for empowering us in this direction, for challenging us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you.